You are listening to a sermon from MCA Church. To learn more about our community, head online to mcachurch.ca. Thanks. Well, welcome here this morning. Maybe you're new uh, or you're, you're visiting. Uh, September is often like a restart, and maybe you've decided, hey, you want to find a place. Maybe you're new to Kelowna and you're here. You're a university student. Maybe you just moved to town. We want to welcome you, uh, and thanks for being here. I'm Keith. I'm the lead pastor here, uh, and it's great to journey in faith together. That's, that's what we're here for, uh, is to, to be part of following Jesus together. Uh, coming to church is not a solo thing. Sometimes you come on your own, but it isn't a solo. The life of following Jesus is not a solo thing. We do it together. And we do it with people who maybe don't look like us or sound like us or, or think like us even. <laughs> Yet, Jesus is the one. Uh, he's the reason we're here. He's the one who unites us. And as a church, we've been, we've been taking steps these last, uh, well, since last week, I guess, as a church. We've been taking one step. And we take another this morning in, in, in growing in our ability to, to, to listen for God, to hear the voice of Jesus in our lives. And this morning, I want to help you hear the voice of Jesus through a passage uh, in Luke's gospel, Luke chapter 24, uh, verses 13 uh, to 32. It's on page three, uh, uh, sorry, 738 in the Pew Bible, so I encourage you to turn there, or if you have a device, you can look up Luke chapter 24. It's perhaps a familiar story to you, or maybe you've never heard it before. But I invite you to turn there, Luke 24, starting in verse 13. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit of Jesus says to the church. Hear the word of the Lord. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. Jesus asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things? he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, How foolish you are, and and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures 
concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, Stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Jesus, Jesus. You have uh, already been speaking to us this morning. From the moment we, we got out of our bed, you sustain our life with your very word. You sustain the life of this city, this world, with your very word. You've been speaking through, uh, through the songs that we've been singing this morning. You've been speaking as we pray. And Lord, we invite you again to speak, for your people are listening. Make us the church in every sense of the word. We pray this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, now, I've chosen this text because in it, we find two people who are beginning their journey in listening to the voice of Jesus in their life. Now, their journey is unique. It's, it's different. It has a particular place in history. But there are a number of things in their journey that are important for us. They're foundational for us when it comes to our own journey of learning to hear the voice of Jesus in our lives. And so let me begin just by orienting you to the story. And, and, and maybe you picked up all the details, but let me fill in a few. What we're reading here is an account of what took place on the first Easter weekend, right? These two men, they're, they're baffled by what has taken place in Jerusalem on that first Easter weekend. And as they, as they are leaving town, they're, they're discussing it. They're trying to put the pieces back together. They had hoped that Jesus was the long-awaited Messiah, the one that God had promised would come as his anointed person to sort out the human problem of sin and evil once and for all. But the rumors were that the tomb was empty. He had died, but the tomb was empty. And they're trying to figure out what is taking place on this weekend. And all that took place, they list, starting in verse 19. If you look at the text... Right? They, they, they recount what happened this weekend, the bewildering events. Jesus, this person who was a prophet, powerful in word and deed, the one they thought that was the Messiah, was handed over by the chief priests and the rulers to be sentenced to death and crucified on a Roman cross, which he was. He was buried in a tomb, but three days later, the tomb was empty. Some women had gone to the tomb, but there they saw an angel and, and who said that he was alive. And others went to the tomb and saw that it was empty. And so these two men, we, we find them, they're on this, this road uh, out of Jerusalem at the end of the weekend. And now this weekend was a big weekend in the life of God's people, of course, right? It was the Passover weekend. People had journeyed there from all over the vicinity in order to worship God. And these things took place. So these two men are leaving the city, and they're bewildered because they believed that Jesus had been the Messiah the one who was going to sort out 
the problem of sin and evil once and for all and establish God's kingdom upon the earth. The road from Jerusalem to Emmaus, we're told in the text, is seven miles, which is about 11 kilometers. I did the math before uh, speaking this morning because if I had to do that on the spot, I would have said something like three. But it took about three hours to walk the road. And so it was time to, 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 to discuss, to debrief, to deal with their own disappointment. And this one who said he was the Messiah but only ended up dead and missing. And the text tells us that as these two people are walking and discussing these things along the road, Jesus himself comes up to them and walks with them. But they don't recognize him. They don't know it's him. And so Jesus asks them a question. Look at verse 17. He says, what are you discussing together as you are walking along? And then one of them, Cleopas, right? He basically says, Jesus, have you been living under a rock? <laughs> are you the only person who doesn't know what has taken place in Jerusalem? But Jesus asks again, what things? I mean, it's comical, isn't it? <laughs> Jesus is, is asking a question about something he obviously knows the answer to, but, but there's something foundational that I want us to notice here, what is taking place. I want you to notice what Jesus is doing. Jesus is speaking personally to these two men, to these two people. Now mark this, church. When Jesus speaks, he speaks personally. Now, I mean that in two respects. First, he speaks personally in the sense that this is the risen Jesus who is speaking to these people. This isn't some figment of their imagination. This isn't a voice in their head. This isn't even a, a, an angel or a messenger of the Lord who is speaking to them. It is the voice of the crucified and risen Jesus. When Jesus speaks to us, he speaks personally. He makes his personal presence known and available. When I was in university, I, I uh, was working in a molecular biology lab uh, way back in the day when I had th thoughts about being a, a scientist or, or, or a physician, uh, and the Lord had a few different U-turns along the way for me in that <laughs> But the thing about working in a lab like that is you have some really interesting conversations about faith and about God. Uh, and I remember having one with one of the postdocs who was working in the lab, and, and she knew I was a follower of Jesus. And we would have spiritual conversations from time to time. And, and I remember one moment she, she explained to me, she said, Keith, I believe, I believe in God, but I don't believe that he would ever be interested in my personal life. I believe in God, but, but I think he's probably too busy or, or has too many other more important things to deal with than, than people and people like us. So for her, God was real, but impersonal. She believed in a higher power, but God was just that, a power, a force, an energy, something impersonal. But God isn't like that. God is personally present. God has spoken and he continues to speak in a way that makes him personally available to us. 
When Jesus speaks, he speaks personally. He makes himself personally available to us. That's the first sense of this. But there's a second side to the personal nature of God's voice. God speaks into the personal details of our everyday life. God has something to say about the details of your life. He has something to speak into your life. I mean, this is precisely what Jesus is doing on the road to Emmaus, right? These two people are walking along the road, and, and, and they're going through something. <laughs> I mean, we might, we might gloss over this fact, but these two are going through probably a crisis of faith. They had put their hope in this Jesus person. They, they had traveled miles to go to Jerusalem to hear what he had to say, hoping he would be the Messiah. But at the end of the weekend, he turns out dead. <laughs> And then there's these rumors that, that he's risen from the dead and they don't understand it. They're bewildered. They're disappointed. They're discouraged. But what does Jesus do? He meets them on the road of their life. He asks them questions. He inquires about their disappointment. He, he inquires about their hopes. I mean, why does he ask such a silly question that he knows the answer to? I think it's because he wants to enter the details of these two people's lives. Because when Jesus speaks to us, he speaks personally. He speaks into the personal details of our life. He meets us on the road of the, the road we find ourselves on, and he speaks into the personal situation that we're in. When my wife, Gina, was a young adult, Gina's in the... Um, uh, She's in the children's ministry this morning helping out there. When Gina was a young adult, she began... So I can tell whatever story about her. That's essentially why I'm saying that, okay? And we'll keep it to ourselves. <laughs> when Gina was a young adult, she began attending a, a church much like this one. But growing up in church, she, she grew up in a church, and there she learned all about Jesus. She grew up in church learning about Jesus. She knew about his death on the cross and what it meant. It was, it was his sacrifice for the forgiveness of the sins of the world. But in those early days of hearing about Jesus and his sacrifice, she missed something. For some reason, she, she, she hadn't had it click that Jesus died for her personally. This is the story of many of us. In fact, it's actually the story of all of us until one point in our life. Right? It's like we hear the gospel story intellectually, that Jesus dies for the forgiveness of sins, but we don't hear it personally, that it's a sacrifice for us. And in Gina's story, to that point, it, she hadn't heard that it was a sacrifice for her. That was, of course, until Jesus spoke to her. Not in an audible voice, though that's possible. He didn't speak in an audible voice, but it was during a worship service, maybe one just like this. And in that moment in the worship service, she looked up at the cross that was in the sanctuary, and she saw in the places where Jesus' hands would have been and his feet would have been that there was a faint stain of red, something she never noticed before. It's like her attention was fixated on it, and in that moment, something clicked. Jesus was saying 
This sacrifice is for you, Gina. When Jesus speaks, he speaks personally. It's how he speaks. He's invested in your life. He's walking the road with you. And he is personally present, but he also has something to say about the unique circumstances of your life. Why? Because he loves you. And here's the thing. We need to open our eyes to this reality that, that when, when Jesus speaks, he speaks personally. We need to open our eyes to this because, because if we don't, do we ever think we're going to hear his voice? If we don't think that, that Jesus speaks to us today, if, if, if we don't think that he cares about our life personally, do we ever think we can expect to hear what he has to say? Probably not. I mean... Jesus has broken down barriers of unbelief before. <laughs> he does that. But I'm reminded of the moment he tried to minister into his hometown of Nazareth, <laughs> and it's as though nothing happened through Jesus. Why? <laughs> because the people there didn't want to have anything to do with it. Ah. But Jesus, when he speaks, he speaks personally. He makes himself present to us and he speaks into the personal details of our life. And maybe you're at a place in your life where you're like, Keith, I think this is just a whole bunch of hogwash. <laughs> or Keith, you're leading us down a strange road that I just don't know much about. Well, Jesus knows the way. Back to the text. Jesus meets these two men on the road to Emmaus, and, and we're told that they didn't recognize him. Look at verses 15 and 16. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. Now, I don't know what the text means when it says they were kept from recognizing him. I'm just going to say that flat out. Was it a situation where it was the Lord who, who kept these two from recognizing Jesus in order to, to make some divine point? Perhaps. Or was it something different? Was it that these two men had never really met Jesus face to face in Jerusalem that weekend, and it was their, their unfamiliarity with his face and his voice that kept them from recognizing him? Or was it a situation where the risen Jesus looked different than the pre-risen Jesus? Now, it's the same Jesus, but uh, could it be that he was different in some way and that's what kept them from recognizing him? And to be honest, I don't know because the text isn't completely clear about that. All we know is that Jesus was speaking and they didn't recognize him. Notice here. It isn't a question of whether or not Jesus is speaking. It's a question of whether or not these men recognize the voice they hear is actually his. Oh, church, let me say that again. It's not a question of whether or not Jesus is speaking. It's a question of whether or not we recognize the voice that is speaking is actually 
we face the same challenge. Even though Jesus speaks to us personally, sometimes it's hard for us to hear his voice. Sometimes we don't recognize it in our life. I mean, even if, even if we're intentional, even if we're listening for the voice of Jesus in our life, how do we actually know it's his voice and not some other voice? It's the important question to ask. And it seems to me that, that, that as we grow in learning to hear the voice of God in our life, we need, to, we need to know and be aware that there are other voices that are always vying for our attention, that sometimes get in the way, that sometimes uh, inhibit or prohibit us from, from hearing the voice of Jesus. And I want to mention three of those other voices. First, there is our own inner voice, our own inner voice that speaks independent of God. Now, as human beings, this might surprise you, but we are inherently self-centered, okay? I'm just going to say it out loud. Sorry to burst the bubble. Here's the proof. We all see the world through our own two eyes, right? And so quite literally, we are the center of our own universe, right? In some ways, we can't help it. We have a limited vision. We see the world from our own perspective. And so, so we are inherently centered upon ourselves, and, and, and so therefore, sometimes we're, we're inherently selfish. We, we have a limited perspective that revolves around ourselves. And so sometimes we can't hear the voice of Jesus because we're so used to hearing our, our own self-focused inner voice. And it's the reason we don't hear his. Or it's the reason we hear his askewed. Second, the second voice that sometimes gets in the way is the voice of our culture, right? Our culture is constantly speaking, constantly. In fact, this is probably the hardest voice to turn down in our, in our trying to hear the voice of Jesus. It's the voice of our culture. Constantly through social media and, and through music and, and through the news and, and through our peers, we are constantly being told the recipe for life, what the most important things about who you are. They come from the voice of our culture, about your identity and, and about what is important in life and, and how we should be ordering our life in order to flourish. And sometimes we can't hear the voice of Jesus because the voice of our culture is so loud and so persistent. It just doesn't shut up. <laughs> Am I allowed to say that in church? I'm not sure. <laughs> Third, there's the voice of the evil one. The scriptures tell us that he's the father of lies and a deceiver. This is the voice that sounds like condemnation or deceit, deception. Sometimes we can't hear Jesus because our ear is attuned to a voice that is bent on our destruction. Right? There are multiple voices that are vying for our attention, our own inner voice that speaks independent of God. We've, we've got the voices of the culture around us and the voice of the evil one, and we're left trying to figure out, well, how do these things go together, and, and what am I hearing? How do we know that this is the voice of Jesus? The reality is, at any given moment, we need to learn how to recognize Jesus' voice against the other voices that are vying for our attention. And so how do we do it? 
How do we cultivate an ear that recognizes Jesus' voice over all the rest? The answer comes in verse 27. In their confusion, these two men, we are told Jesus does something. He opens the Bible. And it says, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. In the midst of their confusion to hear the voice of Jesus in their life, Jesus opens the Bible to help them hear more clearly. That's where we learn what the voice of Jesus sounds like, right? In the scriptures. When Jesus speaks, yes, he speaks to us personally, but he also speaks to us scripturally. Mark that, church. The more we get the scriptures into our bones, not simply our head, not simply our mind, but the more we get his living word into our being, the greater we have the ability to recognize the true voice of Jesus in the rest of our lives. On Monday morning when, when I was walking my dog, uh, I, or sorry, this was Wednesday morning, I was walking my dog in the morning, beautiful morning outside. Uh, it, it was bright and sunny and warm. And, 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 and I have to let you know that sometimes my week, the level of my anxiety in the week depends on how close I get to Sunday. I'm just going to say that. And it all depends on how well my sermon prep is going, okay? So it's Wednesday. It's midweek, and so I'm mid-anxious, all right? I'm just going to say that. <laughs> and I was feeling a little insecure. And as I'm walking my dog, I, I'm praying to the Lord, and I'm saying, Lord, I, I just want to say something of value. I'm thinking about the things that I, that I want to speak this morning. I'm like, Lord, I just, I just want to say something of value. And I was feeling insecure, but it wasn't simply that I was praying, I want to say something of value. I was praying and saying, Lord, I want to say something that's authentic. Because to stand in a room full of people and, and people joining us online and say that, that Jesus speaks to us, <laughs> but to not have heard the voice of Jesus in my own life, well, I don't want to do that. And so it's... I'm walking the dog, I'm praying, I'm like, Jesus, I, I, I'm feeling a bit insecure. I, I, I want to say something of value. <laughs> I want to know that I hear your voice. And in that moment, there's this tree above me that is just filled with all these birds that are singing. And, and it's like my ear was tuned to it in a way where, where I noticed it. And in that moment, the passage in Matthew 6 came to my mind. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store in barns, yet your Father in heaven feeds them. Aren't you more precious or valuable than they? Jesus was speaking a word to my heart through his scripture. The voice of Jesus, something he spoke 2,000 years ago, echoing through the history of time and landing in my unique situation on the cul-de-sac where I live. I mean, is that possible? 
I mean, doesn't the scripture say in, in, in Psalm 119 that God's word is eternal? <laughs> Jesus was speaking to me from his word into my unique situation. When Jesus speaks, he speaks scripturally. It's how we recognize his voice. 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all scripture is God-breathed. It is God's breath. Jesus is found on every page of our scriptures, not simply the New Testament, but every page. And how do I know that? Because that's precisely what Jesus was teaching the two people on the road to Emmaus. He opened the scriptures to them. It says Moses and the prophets, but essentially this is code word for the Bible. <laughs> the first five books are the books of Moses and then the prophets. Jesus opens the scriptures and points to them and says, look, every word on these pages points to me. And so the more we listen to the voice of Jesus in the Bible, the more likely we are to recognize his voice in our own lives. Because, mark this church, Jesus' voice does not change over time. It doesn't change. His voice does not waver. It doesn't crack. It doesn't waffle. His voice will always ring true with what he has already said in the Bible. And so, okay, you with me? <laughs> Two points thus far. <laughs> when Jesus speaks to us, he speaks personally and he speaks scripturally. That's the nature of his word. But what is the purpose? Why does Jesus speak to us in the first place? Well, in short, he speaks for relationship. It's the purpose. He wants us to grow closer in relationship with him. Look back at the text. Look at verse 24. We're told that Jesus, he kind of pretends that he's going a little further, okay? Uh, and it's getting late in the day, but, but, but we read in the text in 24 and what follows that these two men that are on the road to Emmaus, they reach their destination. Jesus pretends he's going further. And these two men do what would have been culturally expected. This would have been normal and expected. They say to Jesus, no, you must stay at our home. You must come and stay with us because it's getting late. If they didn't do that, they would have been dishonorable people in a first century Palestine. And so they do what's expected and normal. And Jesus does what's expected and normal. <laughs> to turn down their invitation probably wouldn't have been the right thing to do. And so he says, yes, I will stay. It's expected and normal, but what happens next is not expected. It is not normal. It is out of the ordinary. Because when they sit down to share the meal, Jesus, who is the guest, becomes the host. Jesus turns the table. He's supposed to be the guest, but he becomes the host. Look at verse 30 and 31. When he was at the table with them, he took bread and he gave thanks. He broke it and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened. They recognized him. And then he disappeared. I mean, what's that all about? But don't miss this, church. Their eyes were opened the moment Jesus shared his meal with them. His meal. 
the communion meal. The meal that invites all of sinful humanity into relationship with a holy God. The meal that represents Jesus' body given for us on the cross in our place. The meal that represents his blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins and the reconciliation of all that is broken. When Jesus shares his meal, their eyes are opened as they're invited into this relationship with the holy God. As we start out on the road to hearing Jesus' voice, we really do need to know why he is speaking to us in the first place. He is speaking because he desires a closer relationship with us. And I think this is really helpful because sometimes when we seek God's voice, what we want him to give us is this blueprint for our life, right? We, we think that God is just waiting to tell us the, the exact steps that we need to take every moment of our day so that we actually live in his will and, and we feel handcuffed or, or, or paralyzed unless we hear God telling us what each step is to take, And it's not that God can't direct our steps. He does. He most certainly does. But when we understand and remember that that what he's on about as he speaks to us is he's he's inviting us into this life-giving relationship with the God who speaks personally. It will save us so much trouble and heartache because the words he speaks first and foremost are toward that end. He's inviting us into relationship. And it's why he speaks. And so, church, let me just ask the question. Do you remember the first time you heard the voice of Jesus in your life? That moment when something clicked and you heard the gospel in a personal way. Perhaps it was in a worship setting like this. Or maybe it was in the quietness of your own room one evening. Or maybe you're out in, the, in nature on a hike. Do you remember the moment when you first heard the voice of Jesus saying to you, I love you. And I've sacrificed everything on the cross for your forgiveness. And I want to be king of your life. Do you remember that moment? You see, for all of us who have gone all in with Jesus, we have all heard the voice of Jesus at least once in our life. At least once. And the thing is, Jesus has more to say. He doesn't simply want to get us through the door of salvation. He wants us to enter the goal of salvation which is a participation in this ongoing, life-giving union with him. It's why he came. In other words, he has more to say. So how do we listen? That's the last question. How do we actually listen? Well, prayer, really, is where we learn to hear the voice of God. It's the best place. It's not the only place we hear the voice of God, but it's where we learn to hear his voice clearly And so I want to get real practical, and I want to recommend to you a way of praying. Uh, And now, through our e-bulletin, we're we're sending out this weekly prayer sheet. Uh, It's called Cultivate Prayer, and and it's walking you through a way of praying. 
uh, and I want to recommend it to you. Sign up for our e-bulletin. It's a way of praying, and, and, uh, and I want to call you to that. But I'm going to simplify it for us this morning. And I'm going to highlight four things, a way of praying, four particular movements to the way you can pray this week that will help you hear the voice of Jesus in your life. And I, I, I get these uh, four movements of prayer from uh, Gordon Smith's book called The Voice of Jesus. It's a great book. It's in our, uh, um, I think we, we have a couple copies uh, in our library. One of them's taken out, so there's only one left. So you can, you can, you can fight over it later, right? Or you can borrow my copy, but anyways. Four things, four movements to the way you pray. Hyper-practical. If you're the kind of person here that's just saying, Keith, you've been talking for about 30 minutes. I want these last five minutes. Just give me something practical. Well, here you go. This is what you could do. When you pray, begin with the first movement of prayer. Take five minutes to, to pray prayer of thanksgiving. That's the first movement, thanksgiving. And here's how I recommend you do it. Review in your mind what took place the day before. Think about the people, the places, the conversations, the meetings you had, the things that brought you, you joy, the things that, that maybe f- made you feel unsettled. And as you review the details of your life, right? Because God cares about the details of our life. As you review them, pay attention to where you feel thankfulness. Pay attention to where you, you see God's grace in those moments. And simply say thank you. The first movement is thanksgiving. The second movement is confession. As you review those those moments, those meetings, those relationships, those conversations, as you review your day again, pay attention to the places where you feel the Spirit convicting you. Pay attention to the places where in thought, word, or deed, you've lived out of sync with God's way and God's word and offer your confession. Name them. Hand them to Jesus, for that is the reason he came, to bring us forgiveness. That's the second movement, confession. The third movement in this prayer is is meditation, to meditate on God's Word. And so what I encourage you to do is to take your Scriptures, open them up, and, and read a passage of a gospel. It's a really helpful way of doing it. Just read one passage, one paragraph, or one section and and jot down the things you see in there. What is Jesus doing? What comes to your mind as he's doing these things? What what reflections uh, come to you as you meditate on God's word, on Jesus? And jot them down. That's the third movement, meditation. Fourth, the final movement is to, to seek God's guidance for the day ahead. Here, it's helpful to, for some people maybe to bring their agenda, right? You've got a day ahead. Maybe you're praying in the morning or maybe you're praying in the evening and you're thinking about the, the, the next day. To take your agenda and look at, look at the meetings you have. Look at the people that you'll be meeting with. Look at the things that need accomplished. Think about what's going to happen in your day ahead because God cares about the details of your life. And simply ask Jesus to give you wisdom or whatever you need for those meetings, for, those, for the day ahead. Maybe there's some meetings you're looking at and you're thinking, I need extra grace, Jesus. Or others, you might be thinking, Jesus, I need, I need a word from you to encourage this person. <laughs> or I need your strength, or I need your whatever, uh, to seek God's guidance for the day ahead. Four movements, 
Thanksgiving, confession, meditating on God's word and seeking his direction for the day ahead. It's a way we can pray. It creates space to hear the voice of Jesus. When Jesus speaks, he speaks personally and he speaks scripturally. And he speaks because he wants a closer relationship with you. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit of Jesus is saying to his church. Let's pray. Jesus, you are the good and beautiful God. And you love people. You love us so much that you are not distant, but you came to live among us. But not simply live among us so that you would know our experience, to live among us so you would take our brokenness and our sin upon yourself. And through the cross, you would dismantle its power. And you invite us to your table of fellowship. And so, Jesus, I want to pray this morning for those who, who maybe their ears have gone deaf. And I pray, Jesus, that you'd bring a fresh word, a fresh encouragement to their heart, that you draw them deeper into the love you have for them. And Jesus, I pray that as we continue to, to, to follow after you, you'd give us ears to hear Because, God, you're not done with us. And that we know that in, in some measure, we know as human beings that if we really want to be your church in every sense of the word, we need you to fill us afresh. We need to know that the things we're doing are, are, are blessed by you and encouraged by you. Lord, we need to hear your voice because we need to hear you say that we're forgiven. We need to hear your voice because we need to hear that we're loved. We need to hear your voice because we need to hear that you have a way forward. We need to hear your voice because we need to hear that there is no other voice that can lead us to life and wholeness. And so, Jesus, I pray far beyond this moment that in this season of our life together, you'd give us ears to hear, hearts to receive, and the courage to follow. You know what each person needs. And so minister to your people, Lord, as we sing, as we bless your name. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.